Inspiration. Turn up the motivation. You're on the Ziggler Inspire Podcast. Zig Ziggler wants you to be your best. Welcome to Zig Ziglar's Inspire Podcast. This is your host, Blake Lindsay. You know, for many years, Zig Ziglar taught Sunday school class, and I recall 11 years ago or so visiting his class, and man, it was fun. We enjoyed hearing the word in a very inspirational way, and it was a full house. Today, we are once again listening to one of Zig's Sunday school lessons. He's going to share with us the reason we can have hope, no matter what life circumstances have been thrown our way. Let's turn it up and listen to Zig together. Several years ago at Southwestern Seminary and the cafeteria line, at the head of the line, they had the apples and there's a little sign that said, uh, take only one, God is watching. At the end of the line, they had the chocolate chip cookies and it said, take all you want, God's busy watching the apples. Oh, it's that time of year, isn't it? I uh, was reading Dear Abby this morning, or was it Dear Anne, and they had the little uh, laugh at the end of it. It said, it's sad for a girl to reach the age where men consider her charmless, but it's worse for a man to attain the age where the girls consider him harmless. (laughs) A lot of us get my age and start thinking about the hereafter. I know from time to time I walk in a room and say, now what am I hereafter? Well, anyhow, (laughs) heard about a fellow that uh, he happened to be the chairman of the board of one of the fast food companies, and uh, he made a habit of checking on his various restaurants from time to time. He walked in one about 11 o'clock at night, not a customer in sight. There wasn't anybody in sight at the counter either so he looked around the corner and there uh, two guys were in the back smoking cigarettes and uh, he just blew his stack he walked around and he said what are you guys doing don't you know you're supposed to not be smoking on the job you're supposed to be out front so you can wait on people and one of the guys said and just who do you think you are he said I am the chairman of the board of this corporation now what do you think about that He said, I think me and you both have gone about as high as we're going to (laughs) go. I tell you, well, that's reality, isn't it? It sure is. Let's get serious and look at what uh, this is all about. Uh, Forgiveness is the key. You know, in this class, this is where God holds a sales meeting every Sunday morning. Now, a lot of people don't realize this is a sales meeting, but it's God's sales meeting. Now, he has uh, other sales meetings and other places. They're satellite, though. This is where the main event takes place. Uh, you've heard me talk a whole lot about hope. And every time I stand up to speak, that's my objective, is to give hope to the people who are here and those who will listen simply because we live in a world where hope is the missing ingredient in a lot of people's lives. In uh, Jeremiah, the 17th chapter, the 7th and 8th verse, it says uh, something which I found to be very encouraging. And so if you want to turn to that, but however, you don't really need to because by the time you get to it, I'll probably be through with it. Here's what we read. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. Now, why is that? Very simple. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is no disappointment. There is no change. You can always totally 100% depend on him. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river, and will not fear when heat comes. 
but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. In other words, those of us who trust the Lord, even in difficult times when there is a drought, we will still be productive. It will still be green. Not as green maybe as other times, but it will be green. In Psalms 71, 5, we read, For you are my hope, O Lord God. You are my trust from my youth. Hope is mentioned so many times in the Bible. In Romans 5, 5, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in the hearts of the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now, when you talk about the Holy Spirit, a lot of people, particularly baby Christians and those who've been attending churches where they do not teach the Bible, do not realize that God's Spirit in the Old Testament was given on special occasions only. Classic example is Samson, you know, and the Bible repeatedly says, and God's Spirit came upon him, and he was able to do the things that he did of superhuman strength. It was supernatural strength, actually. God's Spirit came upon him. But in the New Testament, God sent his Spirit when Christ was ascending to the Father. He said, I go now to my Father, but I send to you a comforter who is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will be with you as you become a Christian. You will have God's Spirit inside of you forever and ever and ever. In John fourteen sixteen, we read, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, and he shall abide with you forever. Isn't that an incredible promise? Isn't that a tremendously exciting and encouraging promise? When I committed my life to Christ on that July 4th weekend back in 1972, and the full realization hit me that I would have him in me all of my life, that that Holy Spirit would be right there, that I did not have to fight all the battles alone, that I had the creator of the universe uh, who was giving me the strength to do the things that I'm able to do. Now, he's in everybody, and this is one of the wonderful things about it. So many things have happened uh, since then. Now, encouragement, and this is the reason you need to be in God's house worshiping uh, regularly, because encouragement is necessary. Hope that is uh, delayed is often denied. And a lot of times we set our objectives in life, and they do not happen quickly enough, the natural tendency is to become discouraged. That's the reason we call this class the encourager's class. Now, you know, you can transfer courage. That's what encourage me. We transfer courage to get people to go ahead. And when you're in God's sales meeting every week, you get the encouragement that this next week, regardless of what happened last week, this next week has all kinds of incredible possibilities. I like to share with you a story because a, a lot of times uh, people, you know, they look back at their past and say, well, I've never done anything, not anything of significance. When I was 45, I was stone broken in debt, had worked hard all of my life, had been honest. I've always been an optimist. All of those things were there, but I didn't have God's strength inside. Now, God loved me even in those days. But I had not accepted his grace and his strength and his power. A lot of times people seem to forget 
that failure is an event, it's not a person, that yesterday really did end last night, that today is a brand new day. And we can, in essence, start over every single day of our life. A number of years ago, I was uh, in direct sales. As a matter of fact, I spent 15 years in direct sales. I sold heavy-duty, waterless cookware. I used to put on the demonstrations. The hostess would invite the couples in. We'd cook the food, put on the demonstration, and uh, make the appointments then to make the sale. Well, after a period of time, uh, I got at least semi-smart and realized that I could get some help to do a lot of the things that I had been doing myself, like cooking all the food and so forth. So I ran a little ad in the paper in Columbia, South Carolina. A lady named Jerry Arrowwood responded. Now, to kind of give you a picture of Jerry, she had been baking cakes and taking in sewing in order to support, to help support her three daughters. Now, does that tell you something about the type of personality she was? Very shy, very quiet, very introverted. When I interviewed her, she was really, she was very neatly addressed. Uh, She was pleasant. She was polite. And I told her what the deal was that, uh, you know, I wanted her to prepare the food for cooking, wanted her to do the cooking, wanted her to clean up afterwards, wanted to help me in serving and all of those kind of good things. And uh, she, she nodded. And when we got through, she said, you know, I'd really love to have this job. She said, because I can do all of my uh, sewing and baking in the morning, and we generally don't, you don't get started until about 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon. It'll work out perfectly. And she said, I certainly can use the money. But she said, I want to make uh, one request. That is, as you can tell, I'm shy. I don't meet people well. I don't have that type of personality. And for whatever reason, people don't seem to relate to me. So she said, uh, I will do all of the preparation. I'll do all of the cooking. I'll do all of the cleaning up. I'll help with the serving. But you got to promise me that you will never call on me to participate in the demonstration. In other words, I'll do all the work. You do all of the talking. Well, although I was a little offended because I want to do a lot of the work myself, uh, being the uh, being the gracious person I am, I, I you know I bowed to her wishes and I agreed that yes I'd let her do all of the work and uh, I'd do all of the talking. Well, I can see right away that Jerry and I were going to get along real good. I mean, no problem. Uh, well, it worked real good for a couple of months, and then one night my mouth overloaded my back. I made too many commitments, made too many appointments. I set in front of myself an impossible task. So I said to, to Jerry, Jerry, you got to help me. What do you want me to do? I want you to deliver these six sets of cookware I've sold, and I want you to teach these people how to use them on their own stove. Now, virtually everyone in this class will be unable to relate to my next statement. Mm-hmm. Sheer terror in her eyes. And she almost immediately started shaking. She said, I can't do it. I can't do it. I said, you can't do what, Jerry? She said, I can't deliver that cookware to those homes and teach those ladies how to use it on their own stove. I said, Jerry, every night for the last two months, you've been teaching the hostess how to use her set of cookware. She said, yeah, but that's different. She said, you're here. And uh, if I foul up, she said, I know you're going to bail me out. I said, Jerry, it's just not that big a deal. She said, I can't do it. Just can't do it. 
Well, fortunately, we had about a 30-mile ride uh, back to her home, and she obviously was thinking all the way because she sure didn't say anything. Uh, I don't remember what was going through my mind outside of sheer panic because I didn't know what I was going to do. I'd gotten those folks' money, and they expected that set of cookware to be there the next day along with instructions on how to use it. Well, finally, she started to get out of the car. Jerry said, well, all right. She said, I'll do it. You, you made the appointments. You said that you, they were going to be delivered tomorrow, and I'm afraid that it'll hurt your reputation in the community, so I'll do it. Now, <clears throat> she denies doing the next thing, but I remember it very vividly. She literally shook her finger in my face, and she said, but I'm going to tell you right now, if this ever happens again, she said, you're going to be left holding the bag. She said, I won't sleep a wink uh, all night long. She said, I'm just scared to death. I'm going to foul everything up tomorrow. But she said, I'll do the best I can. Well, I don't know if she slept that night or not. I didn't. The next night, like most fears, you know, 90% of the fears that has been documented scientifically, uh, 90% of them simply are groundless. They never happen or else they were so insignificant that it made no difference. Uh, the next night, about 9 o'clock, I got a call, and it took me 30 minutes to get that introvert off the telephone. I have never experienced any more excitement that she demonstrated when she called me. She said, you know, I got to the first house, and the husband and wife, they had the coffee made and a dessert ready for me. She said it was a wonderful visit. They uh, bragged on me, said I was so professional, that I had a great personality. They've even invited me to come back and bring the girls, and they told me that this time they would do the cooking. She said, Zig, three of the six couples had dessert and coffee waiting on me when I got there. She said, I had more fun today than I have ever had. I'll do this any time you want me to do it. <laughs> now, it didn't happen that week, that month, that year. But five years later, Jerry Arrowwood was the vice president in charge of sales training for a multi-million international cosmetic company. Now, understand I had no earthly idea when she got out of the car that night that such a change in her life would take place. One of the deep regrets of my life is that I neglected to retain the name and address of that first couple to whom she delivered that set of cookware. Because I have an idea that when she approached that house, it was with fear and trembling, I also have a strong idea that when she approached the second house to deliver the set of cookware, she was in a dead run with sheer excitement. That one couple literally changed her life. When they said, you're very professional, you have a wonderful personality, we've thoroughly enjoyed having you in our home. It's absolutely astonishing what a few words of encouragement will do to a fellow human being. You might not be able to stand up and make a speech, but there is a person with an earshot of this who cannot say nice, courteous, encouraging things to other people. Uh, the words we use make such a dramatic difference. Today, Jerry Arrowwood and her husband, Bob Valberding, live out in California where they manufacture high-grade cosmetics for small companies who want their own private label. Who could have foretold such an event? You see, ladies and gentlemen, inside of every human being, there is incredible potential. 
Now, I'd like to analyze Jerry just for a moment, and I want you to understand that something very significant happened as a result of her displaying the courage, that's what it took, the courage to accept that assignment, and let's look at why she did it, and then what happened to her after she accepted that assignment. First of all, it did take courage, and that's the foundation on which you build the other qualities in uh, your life. Now, why did she do it? First of all, she felt compassion for me. You see, I was in a spot. She hated to see me there. She put herself in my shoes and said, Zig's reputation will hurt or be hurt. I don't want that to happen. She reached out. Now, I'm absolutely certain that Jerry Arrowwood was not thinking to herself, well, you know, Zig's been telling me you can have everything in life you want if you'll just help enough other people get what they want. And I want to be the vice president in charge of sales training for a major cosmetic company. And if I deliver these six sets of cookware, that's what is going to happen to me. Now, that's ludicrous to even think about it. But the fact is, she took the action out of compassion. It took courage to go along with it. Now, Jerry was a very humble person. You know, humility is a wonderful quality of life. Uh, You know, it does not mean that you think less of yourself. It simply means that you think of yourself less. That's what humility really is. She was honest. She was a gentle and kind person. She was teachable. She took pride in her performance. Now, let me explain something to you. Words do change. A lot of people think uh, pride is a dirty word. Uh, They say, well, isn't that what caused the fall of man? The answer is no. It was not pride. It was false pride. Solomon clearly identifies it as vanity. Now, now you think with me for a moment. Could it possibly be wrong for me to say to one of my children, I am proud of the values, the character, and the integrity which you display on a daily basis? Could it possibly be wrong for me to say to one of my associates at the company, I'm proud of the job that you did? Your pride is demonstrated in the way you dress, the way you perform on the job, the care you take care of yourself in a thousand different ways. Jerry took pride in whatever she did. She did it well. She took pride in the fact that she was a very neat person. Uh, uh, She was a conscientious uh, person, and she was completely dependable. Now, that just about ends the list of qualities at that particular point that I identified in Jerry Arrowwood. But amazing things started to happen there. First of all, she became highly motivated. She uh, caught a glimpse of her own potential. Now, the moment you catch a glimpse of your own potential, that's the moment that passion is born. When all of those people bragged on her, she caught a glimpse of the potential that was inside of her, and she developed a passion for growing. Her self-image changed radically. Her confidence grew. Her personality blossomed. She became more assertive. She set much bigger goals. She developed a wonderful sense of humor. She became an optimistic individual, far more positive and extremely grateful that life had taken for her. Now, what does all of that say? All of it says, folks, that if you think about it for a moment, if you take step one, if you will do the things, you know, that you really don't want to do and are fearful of doing, 
amazing things can happen in your life. I have for years in describing my own career. It took me so long to move from the day I decided to become a speaker. Uh, that was in 1952. Took me 16, I'm sorry, 18 years to go at it on a full-time basis. Then it took two more years for it to explode. Now, there were some dark times in there. But in retrospect, as I look back, it was during those years that I was getting the practice, doing the reading, preparing myself for the future. And along the way, I came upon the realization, because I'd read it, uh, some author had written it, that anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. Until you can learn to do it well. You see, anytime you see somebody really good at what they're doing, you can bet your last nickel, and I don't believe in gambling, uh, but if I was going to gamble, I'd bet $9 to a nickel, uh, that everybody you see who is extremely good at whatever they do, or even just good at what they do, when they first did what they're doing, they were not that good. Dee Hearn, I'm looking at her right now, is one of the best cooks I think I've ever seen. She bakes the best cakes I have ever put in my mouth. But I will guarantee you the first one she baked didn't even begin to compare to the one she is baking today. Okay? Now, I mention that because I made this statement several years ago, anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. Several years later, a lady came to me and said, I want you to look at the way my little girls are dressed. It was Easter Sunday. They had on four beautiful dresses, and she had made every one of them. Now, they were so good, I guarantee you, Neiman Marcus would have been delighted to have displayed them in their window. She said, about six years ago, when you made that statement, I realized that I had been so intimidated because of my mother's skill as a seamstress. She could look at a mannequin in a window and draw a mental picture of it, go home and cut it out and sew it and make it just like the one there. She had an absolutely incredible ability. She said, I was all thumbs. I couldn't did anything right. And I was unwilling to try. But she said, you gave me permission to fail. And as a result of that, she said, uh, I got to tell you, the first couple of dresses I made were an absolute laughing matter. They were jokes. But that was okay because you said if it was worth doing, and I felt dressing my daughters beautifully was worth doing, then it was worth doing poorly initially. And that's exactly what happened. But she said, six years later, I want you to take a look and see the results. Folks, don't ever be intimidated by the fact that you cannot do something as a professional the first time you did it. Nobody ever really starts out that way. Very, very good at what they do. Now, these two stories are remarkable in many ways, but one that truly stands out. And here's what it was. Words of encouragement is what completely altered both of those ladies' effectiveness, their happiness, and their future. It's always time to give somebody an encouraging word. Encouragement is the key. I picked this up uh, yesterday and was reading it. It's by Walter Knight. If we advertised that the devil was going to put, the, here's what an advertisement showed up. It was advertised that the devil was going to put his tools up for sale. On the date of sale, the tools were placed for public inspection, each being marked with its sales price. 
They were a treacherous lot of implements. Hatred, envy, jealousy, deceit, lying, and so on. They comprised the outfit. Laid apart from the rest was a harmless-looking tool, well-worn and priced very high. What's the name of this tool? Asked one of the purchasers, pointing to it. That is discouragement, tersely replied the devil. Why have you priced it so high? Because it is more useful to me than the others. I can pry open and get outside a man's heart with that. When I cannot get near him with other tools, I can get inside his heart with that. Once I get inside, I can make him do what I choose. It is badly worn because I use it on almost everyone since few people know it belongs to me. Discouragement. How many times do people grow discouraged and quit? How many times do we see people at the very greatest moment of their need when they're despondent, discouraged, they don't know where to turn, and what do they do? They quit coming to worship the only person on earth who can really solve their problem. They separate themselves from Christ instead of clinging to him and praying to him and getting to know him better and better and better. Doesn't make any sense at all, but then who said we were always logical in what we do? You know, it doesn't make any difference what you do. God would never say that you're a lousy, miserable Christian. He always gives hope. Satan never gives hope. God always directs you to himself. He is always specific. He tells us to shape up, not give up. Others, including Satan, will tell you that you are not important. But God thought you were so important that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know, the Lord's Prayer says, on earth as it is in heaven. Now, what's he saying? Look, I want you to have a good time here. I want you to enjoy some of the fruits of labor here. I'm not going to guarantee them. But you might recall that Moses and David and Abraham and Solomon did very well financially. What am I saying? God does not object to you prospering in any way at all. Well, where do you start with all of this? Well, the more I do, the more I live, the more I read, the more I study, the more I have come to the conclusion that forgiveness is the key to the opening the door to all of the good things in life. Now, I have to confess that a former drug addict who did our devotions last Monday morning in our company And every week we have that. Most of the times I say when the devotions are over, this is the reason I say this is the most important meeting that will be held in our company all week long. This former hardcore drug addict, possibly a drug dealer, I believe he spent some time behind bars, But he really loves the Lord today. He's a youth pastor. God has gloriously saved him and restored him and has given him an incredible minister that's just unbelievable what the young man is doing. Now, he gave me a thought here that I never had. He said, forgiveness, start by forgiving God. Now, he said, I know that kind of sounds strange to say you forgive God. 
But if you think or feel that God has done you wrong, then you forgive God. And then it says something else. Then you forgive him and praise him. You ask him to forgive you for not knowing him better. And that's so important because in the book of Deuteronomy, in the uh, 32nd uh, chapter and in the fourth verse, he says, he is the rock. God is the rock. His work is perfect for all his ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. You see, God never changes. God is always the same. Forgive him. Then we uh, encourage you. He does, and I thought this was uh, the right order that he had it in. He says, uh, look up First John uh, 1, 9, and 10, because you need then to forgive yourself. Here's what it says. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. In the eighth chapter of Romans, in the first verse, we read, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Then over in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, in the 40th chapter, the first and uh, second verse, Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. In other words, when you forgive yourself, when you understand that God has already forgiven you, then you're on the way to accomplishing some wonderful, wonderful things. You know, I say, but Zig, you know, uh, I'm just not certain God is capable of forgiving me. You see, I committed murder. I've been a drug dealer. I sold drugs and people were killed as a result of it. I've been a liar and a thief and adulterer. I have done everything despicable that a human being is capable of doing. Can God really forgive me of all of those things? Wonderful news for you, folks. You're not capable of doing anything bad enough that God is not infinitely more capable of forgiving you for what you did. We've got a great God, folks. Do you deserve to be forgiven? No. None of us do. Are you forgiven? Uh, emphatically, yes. If you believe what God says in his book, and as you've heard me say, I believe every bit of it from Genesis to maps. I believe all of it is the inspired word of God. And I believe anybody that will read Josh McDowell's book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. The evidence is so overwhelming, it is so uh, complete that nobody could really argue with the fact that the Bible is the work of God. But I've abused my mate. I've abused my children. I've been guilty of rape. Can God forgive me of that? Let me say it again. There's nothing you can do that's bad enough that God cannot forgive you. 
Let me also tell you that there is nothing you can do that is good enough that's going to get you in heaven. You see, you don't get in heaven because of what you did do or what you didn't do. You get into heaven because of what Christ did. He paid it all. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says, For it is by grace, that's the unmerited favor of God, for it is by grace through faith that you're saved. That not of yourself, not of works, lest any man should boast. If you could get into heaven on your own, if you could good your way into heaven, if your church could get you into heaven, if your, if your parents could get you into heaven, there would have been no need for Christ to come to earth and make that incredible sacrifice that he did. No, you don't get there because of what you do. You get there because of what he did. And ladies and gentlemen... That is the critical issue in every way of the life. We need to forgive ourselves. We need to forgive God. And yes, we need to forgive others. In Matthew 6, 14 and 15, we read very, very clearly what God has to say about that. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now you think about that for a moment. This God who will forgive you of anything that you have done makes an exception. And here's the exception. If you don't forgive others for what they've done to you, then no, I'm not going to forgive you. As I was reading and pondering on this particular one, looking back on the Lord's Prayer, we pray and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. The question is, have we forgiven them? And if we have not forgiven them, then can we honestly, sincerely pray that prayer expecting God to respond to it? That had never hit me before in my life until I was preparing this lesson. And that young man who brought us the message, Dennis Jenkins, last Monday morning, I will be forever grateful to him because he really gave me an eye-opener to do a lot of thinking about. In John 20, 23, we read, When you forgive someone, you release the hurt, bitterness, and anger from yourself. When you refuse to forgive, you retain the hurt, anger, and bitterness within yourself. Years ago, the redhead and I had a couple of close friends. We haven't heard from them in probably 20, 25 years. I have no idea where they are. Because of their age, I'd be surprised if they're still walking around on planet Earth. But we know God's plans are not what our thinking is. But early in his life, when he was a relatively young man, he had had a very bitter divorce. And he blamed her for all of the difficulties, or most of the difficulties. She was given the children. He was uh, uh, told to pay child support. He was so angry, so hurt, and so bitter that he ran. And for 25 years, he literally had been running. Every time he would move to a new location, she'd track him down, and he'd have to move again and move again and move again. He and his wife literally lived in a trailer home 
one of those that are easy to pull and quick to move. Brilliant, brilliant man. I believe he could have been a multimillionaire many times over with the incredible brain and knowledge and skills and persuasion which was his. He lived almost literally from hand to mouth. When he evaded his responsibility, when he refused to forgive, when he refused to face up to what was his obligations and tried to run from it, he destroyed himself. Think of the damage he also did to his former wife and most importantly to the children. I say most importantly simply because the children were innocent victims. This, of course, is an exciting time of the year. We're celebrating Christmas. I'd like to read you a letter from a friend. Some of you might have gotten the letter and have already read it. I just had to write to tell you how much I love you and care for you. Yesterday, I saw you walking and laughing with your friends. I hoped that soon you'd want me to walk along with you too. So I painted you a sunset to close your day and whispered a cool breeze to refresh you. I waited. You never called. I just kept on loving you. As I watched you fall asleep last night, I wanted so much to touch you. I spilled a moonlight onto your face, trickling down your cheeks as so many tears have. You didn't even think of me. I wanted so much to comfort you. The next day, I exploded a brilliant sunrise into a glorious morning for you. But you woke up late and rushed off to work. You didn't even notice. My sky became cloudy and my tears were the rain. I love you. Oh, if you'd only listen, I really love you. I try to say it in the quiet of the green meadows and in the blue sky. The wind whispers my love throughout the treetops and spills it into the vibrant colors of the flowers. I shout it to you in the thunder of the great waterfalls and compose love songs for birds to sing for you. I warm you with the clothing of my sunshine and perfume the air with nature's sweet scent. My love for you is deeper than the ocean and greater than any need in your heart. If you'd only realize how I care, I died just for you. My dad sends his love. I want you to meet him. He cares too. Fathers are just that way. So please call me soon. No matter how long it takes, I'll wait because I love you. Your friend, Jesus. The lady who led me to Christ repeated something all weekend long. God's been waiting on you a long time. God's waiting on you. But you know, folks, it's just a fact of life. Life is so terribly uncertain. You know, there's a commercial that says, don't leave home without it. They're talking about the American Express card. A far more important commercial is don't leave home. Even more importantly, don't leave this church today without knowing Jesus. Because you might meet him or someone else before you breathe your last today. Am I trying to frighten you? No, but I'm trying desperately to get you to seriously think about the fact that life is uncertain. One thing is totally 100% certain, and that's death. The day will come. The only thing is we don't know when. Be ready is all I'm saying. Pray with me, please. 
Our Father, what a marvelous thing it is to do to be able to call you Father. How grateful we are that you've done so much for us, and yet so many times, Lord, we do ignore you. We don't think of all of the wonderful things you do for us and all the provisions we have. We don't express gratitude for the fact that we can come and worship you, and what a priceless privilege that is because nearly two billion people on the face of this earth cannot do that, Lord. We know we are blessed. Thank you for loving us so much. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we pray and for his sake. Amen. As I'm sure you can tell, this Sunday school lesson was given during the Christmas season, but the message is timeless. As Zig Ziglar does with his live Sunday school audience, I want to encourage you this week to open up the Bible and see what it has to say to you. Until next week, this is Blake Lindsay encouraging you to live your life to the fullest. Zig Ziglar. Zig Ziglar.